Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. We are excited to team teach together. This is my friend and our counseling pastor, Ben Baker. We have, yeah, do it. He's awesome. You know him. We have a great relationship. Um, counselor, counselee, you pay him money, he makes you cry. It's a great deal. I highly encourage it. Not everyone cries. <laughs> Subcry more than that. Yeah, that's not your goal. But um, so we are excited about getting into this message to preach the first message of the first series of the year. Uh, this is something our lead pastor, Scott Harris, has felt strong about as we've been pretty heavy on topical messages. He really wanted to get back into, into a book and a book study and expository preaching of that. And with that, he felt led to 1 John. And so that's where we're going to turn to. Uh, if you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to hang heavy there. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. Our ushers will be glad to get one into your hands. Uh, if you don't have one um, at all, then this is our gift to you. Please do keep it. If you're newer to the Bible, um, you'll want to turn to the very end. And the last book of the Bible is Revelation. Right before Revelation, you have these series of letters, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. So we're going to be in 1 John. You can turn there now. Um, so real brief, then I'm going to hand it over to Ben. He's going to take us deeper into it. Uh, John, the John that we're talking about is John, the disciple of John, the beloved uh, disciple of John, of, of one of the 12 disciples. And he wrote this letter uh, to Christians to encourage them in their faith. And this is one of the reasons why Scott wanted us to spend time in this is because the calling that he calls Christians to be a people of contrast, a people of contrast. You're going to notice there's a couple strong themes in this letter. Uh, there's, the, there's the theme of light and the contrast of dark. There's the theme of love and the contrast of hate. These themes are going to be repeated throughout the letter over these 10 weeks. And it's going to be, uh, we're going to come at them and he comes at them at different angles throughout the series. And so um, I think that's it. How about you take us, so. yeah. help us jump in. Well, as Pat said, John, the, the beloved one, wrote the letter, First John, and the Gospel of John, as well as 2nd and 3rd John, and then Revelation as well. He's written all of those, those books. First John, though, is written into a climate of division, which is why you're going to hear a lot of those contrasts, because he's, he's calling the, church, the churches that he's writing this letter to, to be reunited, to be reconciled together, but you have to do that through the person of Jesus Christ. And that's where the rub comes, as you'll see here in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, which is what I'll be covering. But let me, let me begin by just simply talking about communities. I've been, had the privilege of being a member of a, several different communities throughout my life. One community that comes to my mind is the soccer team. I, I w played soccer in high school. No, I was not very good at it. <laughs> but I played soccer in high school, and 
we got to know each other. I developed some friends. Some of those people I liked more than others, uh, you know, and we got to know one another and it, cre- it created a community. So when we were going on trips to play in, at other schools and other, other tournaments and things like that, we, we, we got along with one another and we all played our roles based upon the position we held on that soccer team. But what was it that actually drew us together to be a community? Kicking a ball around, yep. <laughs> it was the game of soccer. That's what brought us together. I've also been a part of a neighborhood community. Some of you guys have been are part of a neighborhood community, right? Whether it's either in an apartment building or actually on a block, right? And, and you, you might have some gatherings, some cookouts together. Maybe, you know, what my wife loves to go to is the, garage, the block garage sales. So maybe that might bring some of that together. But what ultimately created or defined that neighborhood community. Geography. You were in the same location and you shared that same space. So it, it became a community for you that you were a part of. It may be some those neighbors you liked better than the other others, whatever that might be. Well, what defines the community of Christians, the church? What creates this fellowship? And John starts out his letter, 1 John uh, chapter 1, he starts out his letter by saying it is the singular relationship with Jesus Christ, the incarnate. I want you to recognize that. That is his primary focus. Let's read verses 1 through 4 in 1 John. Got to put my spectacles on. (laughs) That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you also, I'm sorry, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. First thing I want you to notice is similarities. There are some similarities between the Gospel of John and 1 John. First of all, the beginning, that phrase, that John uses here in that first sentence of 1 John, if you were to go back to, if you you want to turn to it, you don't have to, but the Gospel of John chapter 1, it's not going to come up, I don't believe, on the slides, but if you wanted to go back to it, notice what it says in verse 1, in the beginning, that phrase being common between 1 John and the Gospel of John. The second thing you'll notice here is the word or the term that is used forward word, capitalized word. You also will see that later on down at the end of verse one, word of life. You also will find a lot of the same kinds of terminology in the gospel of John that Pat referred to. Uh, Light and dark, love and hate, those things transfer between the two. A lot of commentaries actually believe that first John 
is a sort of commentary on the gospel of John, that John felt like he needed to clarify things that he said in the gospel of John. And so he begins by doing that, I believe, with using the same language, but giving a little bit different slant to it. One of the things I want you to notice is the very first word, verse one, says that. Now, if you go back to the gospel of John, it says in. So the gospel of John, John is talking about the very beginning of creation, the beginning of history. In the first John, John is talking about Jesus. That's what he means by that which was from the beginning. Going back to what, what we refer to as the incarnation. So notice what he does there. He goes on, he provides some empirical evidence and there's a reason why he does that, and we're going to get to that. He says, that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which, we have, have ha that which our hands have touched, physical touch, all of those empirical things to recognize the physicality, the material presence of Jesus Christ. This is critical. The incarnation is the most important doctrine. Everything else hangs on that theology, our understanding of who Jesus is. Community is built on our common understanding of Jesus. You can't, we cannot have community if we don't understand that Jesus was the God-man that walked this earth. And this is a pivotal point in history even. We used to identify, some of us still do like me, you know, B.C., A.D., before Christ, after, after death. So that that became the, the physical point in history that defined it. And even in the Old Testament, we have the theology that the Jews were looking forward to the final sacrifice, Jesus, the, the Savior of the world. And then we are looking back at what Jesus has accomplished on the cross and the empty grave. So this is a, the physical point of, or the actual point of Jesus becoming flesh and blood is vital. It literally divides our human history. It does. Yeah. And, it, and it, def, it defines even our salvation because we cannot be saved without a perfect sacrifice. And the only way that could happen is through the incarnation. It's very critical to understand this. And this is where John starts his letter. He starts his letter right here, emphasizing this. And you'll see this incarnation coming up over and over in 1 John. So what he's saying is that the importance of our community, the, uh, where our community comes from is faith in Jesus, not an ideology. And I've got three points. That's the first point. The second point is going to be message about Jesus. And the third point will be fellowship because of Jesus. Then I'll pass it on to Pat. But the first point, faith in Jesus, not an ideology. And what do I mean by that? You might agree with the things that Jesus says, and teaches, and the way he lived his life. Those are truths and can be categorized as ideologies. We're not here because we agree with Jesus. We do, absolutely. We're here because of Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. He is truth. He is life as well. 
Now, why did John start here? Well, one of the reasons is what I've just gone through, the importance of the incarnation. The second reason is because of heresy. There's three isms, and they should be coming up on the slides here. There's three isms, dualism, Gnosticism, and doceticism. Actually, docetism, I think, is actually how it's pronounced. But these three isms are, are what G- John is speaking into. The church, the churches that he's writing to are split right now, and they're split over who Jesus is. They have, they, there are those, the camp, one camp believes in dualism. Dualism is basic belief that anything of a material, physical nature is fundamentally evil. Everything of the spirit is fundamentally good. That's what they, they divide those two areas. Now, Gnosticism is a belief that you can gain some hidden knowledge, revelation from God, and it would raise you to the spiritual level. And some actually uh, believe that they were sinless, and, and they were sinless because they got that hidden knowledge. Kind of like an enlightenment. It's a great Seed description. To achieve yeah, enlightenment. Exactly. The third one, docetism, is the belief that Jesus truly walked this earth, but he was not incarnate. He was all man and only man, and that he died on the cross, and that's where he's at. He's dead. The Christ is the one, the spiritual one, rose from the dead. Now, they believe this because all, all that dualism is all connected because they cannot believe that Jesus could be God and be of material nature at the same time. One of the things that they forget, if you want to go back in your mind's eye to Genesis chapter 1, God speaks and brings into existence, excuse me, my mouth is getting really dry, (laughs) brings into existence all of creation. And what does he say when he's done creating the material world? It is good. And then he creates Adam and Eve. And what does he say when, after he's done creating Adam and Eve? It is very good. There is nothing fundamentally evil about our physical nature, our physical bodies, the, the world around us that we can touch and feel. There's nothing wrong, there's nothing evil about that. It's corrupted because of sin. And that's why the incarnation becomes so important. The virgin birth was necessary so that Jesus was not corrupted by sin and that he could walk this earth. Now, one of the things that's really important about this in our history is is the fact that this is what I would call the scandal of Christianity. The scandal of Christianity. Every other religion in the world whether even Judaism, I would include in that, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, they all have their prophets and their teachers, and God sends them to communicate some, some, something about their truth and, and their doctrine. Christianity is the only faith that has God coming into the world to inhabit a physical presence and to walk with us. God comes to us. He doesn't just, just send a messenger to us. That is the most powerful thing about Christianity. Very 
Yes. Right. Great timing for this, isn't it? As we just got done celebrating Christmas. I love, I love that language. Hey, and here comes a cup of water, a cup of cooled water oh. in Jesus's <laughs> name. That's awesome. Thanks, bro. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Thank um, you very much. <laughs> I, I love that language of the scandal of God. I mean, that, that's strong. That's strong. It is. It and, is strong. Yeah. And I love that contrast that you paint, that there, there's no other belief, there's no other worldview that exists where God comes down, God comes near. He doesn't wait from afar to be served. He doesn't rule from afar. He doesn't just get it started and wipe his hands. But, but God came down. God came near. Yeah. The scandal. Think about that. When I, when I uh, in my background, I was in, this is a little off topic here. In my background, I was in social work for many years. And one of the things that I learned very early on when dealing with uh, children is that I would get down on their eye level to connect with them. That's right. That's, that's what God is doing. That's right. That's really He's good. coming down to us. Yeah, Amen. He's not expecting us to come up to him, which is impossible, and yeah. he knows that. Yeah. And he wants to come down to fellowship mm. with us, to commune with us, to connect, which he does. And so John goes on to say, my second point, our message is about Jesus. Notice what he says. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. So I'm right at near the end of verse 1, chapter 1. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So there's two things I just want to highlight in that verse. First of all, testify. What's the last, when's the last time you heard that word being used? I mean, I, in my mind, I remember a court of law. You testify in a court of law, a legal testimony of what you saw and experienced and, and heard, those types of things. Or you testify to the, to the person, to the criminal, or to the you know, person that, that's being tried. And, and they, sometimes a, you know, the lawyer will ask, can you point to that person in the room? And they'll point to it. Well, that's essentially what John is saying. I am pointing to Jesus, the man, the God-man. He is the one we proclaim. He is the incarnate one. That's what John is doing. And then he emphasizes the fact that he, he, he appeared to us and he was with the Father, the pre-existent living Jesus, Son of God. So Jesus has existed before his birth. History passed. As, as we understand the, the whole time, the doctrine of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus was there at the beginning, and John once emphasized that Jesus was spirit and became physical flesh and rose from the dead physically and remains physical flesh, and it is this God-man that he testifies to and proclaims. That is the message that he brings and that we hear the third and final point is fellowship because of Jesus. I want you to notice this. I'm going to read this last couple of verses here. 
We proclaim to you, verse 3, what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Notice that. We proclaim this message so that you can have fellowship with us. Now, remember, my main point was community is built on the common understanding of, of Jesus Christ, of Jesus. Of, and so it's what we, it's a big theological term. It's our Christology, what we believe about Jesus. And the incarnation is that beginning point, that foundation. Explain that word too. That might be a new word, incarnation. What incarnation. Do you mean? Incarnation is the process of... I can't fully explain what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us exactly what it is perfectly. It, it is where you have God who is infinite and some limited physical nature becoming one. Fully God and fully man simultaneously. That's the miracle that's right. of Christianity and that's the scandal that's right. That's right. of Christianity. In fact, any other, you know, most other religions will recognize Jesus as being a righteous man, mm -hmm. a good man, a, mm -hmm. a prophet, mm -hmm. a teacher. Mm -hmm. They'll recognize those things about him, but they, they have trouble recognizing that he is the son of God. Mm -hmm. That becomes the linchpin in the process right. of accepting Jesus, of hearing that message and entering into fellowship with others who share that truth, that person, Jesus Christ. Which, which is John's point, right? He's saying, you need to know the real true Jesus. There are these false beliefs, false teachings, false teachers, heresies out there, and we need to guard against those and hold firm to what is true, namely Jesus, the God-man. Yep. I saw him, I touched him, right? This empirical evidence, give testimo yep. testimony to. And going back to the, the theme of contrast, that becomes the contrast, literally. It makes us stand out from cool. anyone else in the world, any other faith in the world, because of this truth right here. Now, he goes on to say that we have fellowship because of Jesus. We have that shared understanding of Jesus and he finally says that we write this to make our joy complete. Our joy is made complete when we are brought together through the incarnation, the God-man, to have fellowship and be in community with one another. Because John testifies to the reality that Jesus, the Son of God, the God-man, walked this earth. Mm -hmm by seeing him, hearing him, and touching him. I think sometimes there's a bit of a disconnect some for us. I mean, we're talking about quite a few years ago that Jesus walked this earth, right? You know, and Jesus even said to Thomas, when Thomas had to touch you know, the wounds in Jesus' hands and his side to, to actually believe, Jesus said, blessed are those who hear and still believe without having to touch physically. So he identifies that there is, on some level, a disconnection for us living today. But where is that connection bridged? I'll show you, I'll demonstrate it for you. 
right here. When I come over here and Pat is struggling, I weep with him when he weeps. I pray with him as he needs prayer. When he is celebrating, I celebrate with him. I have community with him. I have fellowship with him. I can touch him. I can look into his eyes. He can look into my eyes. I become Christ-like mm-hmm. in that act and fill that space and, br- and bridge that between us in community. Mm-hmm. And he experiences Christ in that moment as well. Amen. Cheers. M- makes me think of... Uh, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then it says, against such things there is no law. Meaning, when it's that and there is that good, there are no limitations to that. You only want that. There are no rules and boundaries to, oh, nope, that's too much good, that's too much joy, that's too much self-control, that's too much patience. No, it is completely good to the abundance of, there, it's limitless, you know, for relationships and community and that, that koinonia uh, connection. Um, so good. Well, I'm really excited about this, this piece of it. So it goes on in verse five and he says this, he says, this is the message. Okay. So this is who we are and we're going to continue to dive into this. This is the message that we heard from him, heard from him, proclaim to you. Ready for it? God is light. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So we're going to talk about that, okay? So this, this first contrast is light, that language of light. Light signifies in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, what is good, what is right, what is true, and what is known. 87 times this word is used in the New Testament and almost all of them reflect this, what is good, what is right, what is true, and what is known. And then the contrast to that dark and darkness is the opposite of that, right? It reflects, it symbolizes, it signifies in the Bible what is wrong, what is false, what is bad, and what is secret, that is negatively. And all, almost all 57 times in the New Testament that that word, those words are used, that's what it means. That's what it references, okay? I'm going to look at a couple different examples. Um, every single one of us interprets the Bible. Every single one of us interprets the Bible. But there's some really important skills and tools that we need to use in order for us to interpret it accurately. Part of John's letter is to guard against false teaching and heresy, people that are interpreting God and God's word falsely. So there's some tools and skills that we have to have in our tool bag in order for us to interpret God's word accurately. One of those tools is using scripture to interpret scripture. Okay, what else did God say as he uses this language so that we can have a clear understanding of how to use it, how to understand it? What is God saying to us? One of these passages I want to look at is something Tyler preached on last week as he talked about the gospel and John 3, 16. He, he went to this verse, John 3, 19 through 21. And it says this, 
And this is the judgment. The light, who is that? Loud and proud. Jesus, the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the Light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I'm not going to expound on that anymore. He did last week. I want to look at another passage, Ephesians 5. And in this passage, uh, a little bit of context, because we're getting it mid-thought, we're going to step into it. So a little bit of the context is uh, due to your new nature in Jesus Christ... You need to caution against something. And in this case, he's saying caution against partnering with those that make a practice of disobeying God. Now we're going to jump into that verse 7, mid-thought here. Therefore, because of that, do not become partners with them. That's the them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are Light in the Lord, walk as children of, for the fruit of light, think through the spirit, the natural byproduct of, okay? The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is, therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's go back to our passage, 1 John 1, 5. This is the message that we heard from him, proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. God is light. God is a lot of things. God is kind. God is strong. God is intelligent. God is powerful. God is patient. God is merciful. God is a lot of things. And those are his characteristics. Those, the things that he does informs us of who he is and what he's like. But this passage says God is light. God dwells in unapproachable light. 1 Timothy 6 enlightens us of that. But this passage says God is light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, not a light of the world, the light of the world, John 8. But this passage says God is light. It makes me think of essence. Essence. Essence is the absolute necessary quality traits, characteristics of something in order for it to be it, whether it's a thing or a person. I want to show you a couple pictures, okay? Here's a picture 
of a baby, right? Of human beings, okay? The essence of human beings, to strip it, boil it down to its bare essence, you have the physical piece of it, right? We are physical beings. You have the relational social aspect of it, right? We are social relational beings. And then you have the spiritual aspect of it with soul and spirit in made in God's image and God's likeness. You take any one of those things away and we cease being human beings. Let's take another example, the moon. You have this planetary mass, physical mass of rock, okay? You have its relationship to the earth. It is a natural satellite and it orbits the earth. And then you have its reflectivity. It reflects the sun's light and casts it to the earth. You take any one of those components away and it ceases to be our moon. God is light. We'll go back to that passage. What does this mean? Let's look at the essence of God, the essence of God. Now that is a lot bigger than my brain is and my understanding, but there are very few things that I want to highlight about the essence of God. First John 4, and we're going to get to this in weeks, but God is love. He doesn't just have love, God is love. John also talks about in John 4, God is spirit. He doesn't just have one. He is spirit. And then here we have God is light. God is love. God is spirit. God is light. The essence of God. As we talked about before, light in the Bible signifies what is good, what is right, what is true, and what is known. Therefore, I want to connect some dots to what we know about the character of God and what this phrase is and how this word is used, God is light. God is light signifies that God is infinite goodness. Infinite goodness, not just good, not just good. He is infinite goodness. He has no bad side. He has no dark side. He is infinite goodness. God is light signifies he is complete righteousness. He is completely right. He is completely holy. He is completely righteous. He has never been wrong. He has never had to apologize, unlike you and me, right? I have had to apologize a lot. I have been wrong a lot. How about you? God is completely right all the time. He, I've only existed for a few years. He has always existed and never had to apologize. I think that's pretty impressive. He is completely holy. God is light signifies that he is absolute truth. Absolute truth. He only tells the truth always, all the time. He is only of utmost integrity always, all the time. He has never had to manipulate someone in order to bring about his will. He has never perverted 
anything in order to bring about certain things. He is absolute truth. He's never lied. He's never deceived. He is truth. He is absolute truth. God is light. And then lastly, God is light signifies that he is perfect knowledge. No one has ever had to inform God or enlighten God or help him understand anything ever. God is perfect knowledge. And he sees everything always all the time perfectly. He sees your thoughts, every single one of them. He's seen every teardrop, every single one of them. He knows all that you've done and he sees it perfectly as well throughout the entire world and universe perfectly. God is light. God is light. What do you do though when it doesn't feel like God is good, God is righteous, God is truth, God is all-knowing? That's a great question. That's a big one too. Um, well, as you asked personally for me, um, I, I know my own imperfections, right, and my own sins. So there's a kind of a series of questions I have to kind of run through because uh, I have struggled with. God, it sure doesn't feel like you're good to allow these kind of pains and mm -hmm. sufferings or for me to struggle for as long. Like, why don't you kind of take away some of these things, my own struggles or, or painful things in my life? Um, and, and so I... I press in, you know, I can either do what I used to do and kind of run mm -hmm. and comfort my own self in my own broken ways. And that produces a lot of broken fruit. And usually I have to come back and those are those things I have to apologize for. <laughs> um, or I can press into him yeah. and go on, okay, rather than like, why God, which I've done before too, you know, I've done that for a season, but going, okay, what God, what, what are you doing? What are you wanting to see? What do you want me to know? Obviously, there's a misunderstanding that I have about you mm -hmm. and I have about my expectations. That's often what it comes down to. Mm. And then what my expectations are on life. Yeah. And then you have that factor of sin and the brokenness of sin and even within myself. And God is infinite, right? And he is infinite goodness. He reveals his consistency throughout 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 the world and then you look to the life of Jesus this is one of those things that I keep in perspective too if you this was a uh, experiencing God study that I, that I held on to this if you struggle thinking that God can love you and allow you to experience suffering look no further than the life of Jesus yeah. Yeah. so is God good in the midst of suffering yes he is is God good in the midst of confusion and doubt? Yes, he is. You are not alone. My encouragement would be um, have those honest conversations with God. Hmm. Be honest. He's not weak. He can handle your biggest questions and conversations and doubts and struggles. Talk to him openly. Talk to him in the light. I love that. I love that. I mean, you're, you're realigning yourself when you come to those times with God and who he is. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And I would just, I would add accessing that community, that fellowship as yes. well. Yeah. Not doing that in isolation. Yeah. 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 God first, but community second. Absolutely. Love that. Great question. Um, let's dive into that here. So we see these things about God. God is light. 
And we as Christians have been called to walk in that as well. And we looked at that in Ephesians 5. So I want to go back to just a piece of that passage there. Ephesians 5 verse 8 says this. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So with this calling, as God is infinite goodness, you are called to do good. I'm just going to make it really simple here. You are called to do good. You are called to do good. Dive into that. Walk that out. You are called to do good. As God is completely righteous, you are called to righteousness. You are called to holiness. As God is, is holy, you are called to holiness too. We have so many easy kind of like compromises and like, ah, that's going to be too hard or, nah, that's not really fun or that's not really, that's a little, that's a little too, uh, that's a little too bought in to like be holy. No, no. God is holy and he calls you to be holy. He wants you to pursue holiness as he is holy. Pursue him and all that he has for you in holiness and righteousness. That is what it means to be a person of contrast in this world. To, not, to be in this world and not of this world. We see God as absolute truth. He calls us into integrity and truth. We don't need to manipulate. We don't need to deceive. We don't need to tell white lies. We don't need to pervert anything. We need to follow him and his example. Walk in the light as he is in the light. And then he is perfect knowledge. He sees things perfectly for us to see and submit and come under how he thinks about things and how he sees things is really important. Walk in the light as he is in the light. And I'm going to finish reading. We just, that was just verse five, right? I'm going to finish reading that section and we're going to step into our next steps and, and, and land the plane here. So verse five, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What would you want us to walk away with or process? Your faith in the person of Jesus and lean in to that relationship, recognizing he is the answer to all of your spiritual questions, all of your struggles. Uh, align yourself with him as Pat just described as I, when I asked him, what if it doesn't feel like it? What if it doesn't feel like he's good? 
you align your perspective. Our perspective is limited. God's is not. Jesus' perspective is not limited. Press into that relationship and then press into the community of faith. Be that Christ-like individual in your life group to that other member. Allow yourself to receive the love from another individual in your life group or in, your, in this community of faith to be Christ to you so that you can experience a full joy of that deep and abiding fellowship and experience Christ in your life that way. Love that. I just want to add to that for me as far as the next step uh, being uh, kind of just capitalizing on the, on the opportunity of the new year. Um, in, in reflecting on this last year, and maybe some of you have and maybe some of you haven't. I, if you haven't, I want to encourage you. How this last year did you grow in God? How did you grow in your relationship with God? How, how did you nurture that? What do you believe God did? How did you grow in your personal relationship, your personal walk with God? And then second, uh, this may be a little harsh, but hang with me. Um, how do you reflect on your sin over this last year? How, how did your sin ruin stuff? What was your sin over this last year? What did you see was your sin? How did it make a mess of things, hurt you, hurt other people? And what do you do with that? For me, I have my list. Oh, boy, do I, right? But I, I want to, if, if I don't look at it, I'm just going to repeat history. I'm just going to keep doing the same old thing, keep falling in the same hole and wondering why am I here and why am I still coming here? Why do I keep falling in the same hole, right? But if I wring it out for all that I can, if I look hard and take courage and press in with God and others, then I have a fighting chance to heal, mature, learn, grow, overcome. And so... I want to encourage you. Have you looked at your sin, how it affected you this last year? What is it? Name it. Be honest with yourself. God already knows. Be honest with God. And then who are you honest with? Who have you talked to about it? Are you keeping it in the dark? Are you bringing it out in light of community? Are there others that you have been talking to about? If not, if it's in the dark... I'd encourage you to find those safe, trustworthy people you call community. If you don't have that, that's part of the reason why the church exists. Let us help you with that. But share that. Share that. God is in that. In the light. Walk in the light as he is in the light. Amen?